Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium. And we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Mallory Wegeman is the author of Limitless, The Power of Hope and Resilience to Overcome Circumstance. Mallory is a record-setting two-time Paralympic swimmer for Team USA. She has set 15 world records and 34 American records and is also the recipient of an ESPY award, a 15-time world champion, and a Paralympic gold and bronze medalist. Wegman has also served as a commentator on NBC for the Pyeongchang 2018 Paralympic Games, the first female reporter in a wheelchair ever to serve in that capacity. Wegman has established herself as a leader outside of the pool as well. She is an inclusion advocate, serving on the advisory board of disability for Delta Airlines, as well as a co-founder and CEO of TFA Group, a social impact agency and production studio. A highly sought-after motivational speaker, Wegman has presented at numerous Fortune 500 companies, including Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Comcast, PepsiCo, Northwestern Mutual, Aetna, Accenture, Delta Airlines, and Deloitte. Her book was amazing. Welcome, Mallory. Thank you 
so, so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I am beyond inspired by your story and your personality and everything. I just, I can't wait to talk to you. So thank you for coming to talk about Limitless. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Wow. Okay. So for people who aren't familiar with your story of how, why don't you give a synopsis of sort of what happened and how you have overcome so much. And then we'll talk all about the book and, but give, give like the basics if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. The, the overview, overview. I joke the long story short, but there's really no really short version of it. So I was, when I was 18 years old, I had just graduated high school in June of 2007. And in January of 2008, I went in for what was to be my third and final epidural injection for back pain. And unfortunately, due to complications from the procedure that day, I was left paralyzed as a result of the procedure. And, you know, I think of January 21st, 2008, it was Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I I had the day off from class. And so that was kind of why we decided we were going to do it that day, because it was just a quick day procedure. I'd be home by afternoon and I'd be back at class Tuesday morning. And that day has kind of since been marked as what I've called my sudden moment of impact. And for me, it was that unforeseen moment. There was no even forewarning. There was no idea on the radar that that was something that could happen that day. It, It was a very kind of simple matter of fact, walk in, come home in the afternoon, go back to life next morning. And everything but that occurred. And so, you know, at 18, two months before my 19th birthday, I was kind of left at this crossroad of figuring out life and, and what was living as an individual with a spinal cord injury going to look like, not just for tomorrow, but for, for my future tomorrows as you string them together. And, and that was really overwhelming and and incredibly challenging. There was a lot of hurt and frustration and anger that that stemmed from that day and, and the events that occurred. And, and I look at that time in my life and, and there's kind of two moments that stick out so significantly for me. And, and one was my first night home from the hospital and my parents were still working on creating an accessible room for me in the lower level of their home. And so my dad carried me upstairs to my bedroom and my mom got my things settled up there. And, and as we got settled and they said goodnight and they left the room, it was just me left in the same room that I walked out of six weeks prior. And that room looked the same as when I left it. I still had my, my books on my desk for spring semester, my clothes that were kind of just shoved in my closet because I didn't want to do laundry that weekend. Remnants of a life that, that really wasn't all that in the distant past, but felt like an entire lifetime ago with the situation I was in. And I realized that night that probably one of the most profound things I was going to have to do on this journey is the most simple thing. And that was make the choice each morning if I'm going to get out of bed or if I'm going to stay in bed. And it sounds maybe a bit ridiculous, but laying in bed that night and seeing my wheelchair beside it and understanding the gravity of what I was facing, I realized that come morning, I had that, I had a choice. I could stay there and I could grieve and, and I could, you know, feel sorry for myself, rightfully so after what had happened, or I could get myself into my chair and slowly kind of 
figure out, you know, getting myself dressed that morning on my own and doing the little things that I could do and then open that door and lean on my parents and my sisters and my community to help me piece the rest of the puzzle back together. And I knew that that decision was going to set pace, not just for what I would do the next day, but what I would do in the following week and the month and years later. And that that choice was about something so much more of like, what am I going to do tomorrow? And that was a really big pace that I set when I chose that next morning to get out of bed and get into my wheelchair and start to fight. And that doesn't mean that every day since has been graceful. It's been 13 years. And, and there's days like yesterday where frankly being paralyzed is really hard. And then there's days and weeks and months where I don't even think twice about it because it's just what I know now. But I, I look to that journey and, and that kind of moment in my life where I had to make that decision. And I'm, I'm so grateful for what I've learned these past 13 years, because I am who I am as a result of that day. It didn't define me, but is very much a part of the fabric of my being. Wow. Wait, so what happened yesterday? Oh, it was just, some days it's just hard. You know, you're, I was sore from training. My arms were just shot and it felt like everything I tried to do was, you know, when you don't have the use of your legs and you use your arms for everything and you're an athlete who's not gentle on your body. Some days the, the really hard training catches up to you and it's like, you forget how much you need those until everything's just a little slower because you're super sore from training. And it's just, honestly, it's those silly little reminders where it's like, you know, the normal task takes you a little bit longer. You're, you're dropping things because you, you're kind of just moving different because you're sore from the f- workout the previous day. And, and it's not always big things. It's just those little, little reminders of like, gosh, it would be a lot easier if I could just stand up right now. <laughs> like, you know, it's, and, and then sometimes it's more, it's more based on the pers- the, the perception that gets put on me of others when I leave the door of my home. Right. So like every day it, it's, it's kind of a moving target, but like I said, there's also weeks and months where I can go and it's like, I don't even think twice about it because this is just what my life is now. Wow. First of all, just the attitude alone, I feel like should earn you some sort of medal. But the fact that in addition to approaching your life the way you did after this incident, life-changing, forever changing incident, you also happen to become a Paralympic athlete and like award-winning, amazing, accomplished warrior (laughs) athlete as well. And like you just Googled Paralympics after like not even that long after you had been injured and were like, what's this? And like walked into this pool room and like hit by the chlorine. And next thing you know, you're like winning medals all over and training 13 years later or whatever. Like, tell me a little more about that. I mean, it's one thing to get out of bed. It's another thing to get back in the pool and all of that. It is. And it's interesting because one led to the other, right? And and I think that that's such an important thing for us to realize is the idea of getting in the pool after becoming paralyzed might seem daunting to most people, but, it, and while it was fairly abrupt, it was two and a half months later, those little things that we do each day kind of give you that, that courage within to tackle that bigger thing. Right. And so I had been each day kind of tackling that new little thing of, okay, I'm going to do this today for myself. I'm going to, I'm going to get dressed hundred percent on my own today not going to have help no matter how long it takes me. Right. Like just those 
really, quite frankly, little things that became the big things in my life. And, but when I learned about swimming again, everything changed. And it was interesting because it was complete chance. I mean, it was the first Saturday in April in 2008. I was now settled in my room downstairs. I wheeled into my family's kitchen and my oldest sister, I have two older sisters. My oldest one was home and she was reading our local newspaper here in the Twin Cities. And there was an article about the 2008 Beijing Paralympic trials for swimming and they're being held at the University of Minnesota. And, you know, admittedly at that point in our lives, my family and I really didn't know about the Paralympic movement. We didn't know about adaptive sport. It, it wasn't something that crossed our radar. It, and when you're, when you're injured, unfortunately, more often than not, you're, you're kind of met with, here's the way your life is going to be drastically different and all the things to expect. And it's kind of doom and gloom, admittedly. And no one's really kind of meeting you with that safety net of saying, but here's how you can adapt and still go to college and finish your degree and, you know, sports a part of your life, remain an active lifestyle and, and all of those various things. And so at that point, I just had this really closed mindset of what I thought living with a disability was going to be because I didn't know any better. And when we learned about the Paralympic movement it was like this whole world was opened up, you know, for those previous few months, I felt like now as an individual with a physical disability, I was quote unquote, physically incapable of doing things, which sure, I can't put one foot in front of the other, but outside of that, that idea is like completely and utterly untrue. And so when we learned about the Paralympic movement, it really solidified the idea that really anything is possible in terms of, in what I could desire for my future. And so we, we ended up going to the pool that night, my sister and I, with a lot of family persuasion, I didn't really want to go. Admittedly, it was snowing in Minnesota, go figure. And I was kind of like, nah, I'm good. And so we did end up going. And when we got to the pool, I, I wheeled in and, and there's a railing along the, right when you come in the doors before you go into the seating in the natatorium. And I looked over the railing to the pool deck. And I think that was the first moment that I felt hope since my injury. Like, like not the fake it till you make it. If you smile enough, you'll get through this really crappy time in your life. And, you know, you kind of fool yourself into believing you're okay. But I actually felt hope. And it wasn't about the idea that I thought I was going to go become a Paralympic champion. That was not on my radar at all at the time. It was more so that I looked to a pool deck and I saw people that I saw myself in. And for the previous few months, everywhere I turned, I felt like I was on an island alone. I didn't see a path forward. I didn't see people I could see myself in when I wheeled out the doors of my home and into our society. I didn't see others in stores or advertisements or media or entertainment. Like, it was just me. And that was really tough. And that notion of it's hard to become what you don't see became very real in my life. And so when I looked to that pool deck, I saw possibility. I saw opportunity. I saw a path forward. And, you know, I ended up back on that pool deck 48 hours later with my dad. And I got back in the water for the first time, just two days later. And, you know, swimming in that black line that trails the bottom of the pool in so many ways 
saved me. And it's what allowed me to start piecing my life back together. And then eventually I got that competitive itch, just like I had when I was a seven-year-old kid going to the sport for the first time. And, and, and I realized that that was where I was my truest self. And so that's where I turned to heal. Wow. That's amazing. You had this quote where you said, I could not will my legs to move. I just wrote this on a little sticky because I read this on the computer. I could not will my legs to move, but I could wake up each morning and fight knowing that I had parents and sisters who were rooting for me, praying for me and fighting for me. And you had this whole part of the book about how you have to accept help and how it's all a team and the amazing support of your family who, by the way, I want to like bow down and be like, you are amazing. Like, I like love your your family and how like good overcomes and all the ways they've obviously made you into this wonderful person, but the goodness that comes out of them. Tell me a little more about how you all kind of had to band together and especially on the heels of your sister's illness and the trauma that you all had gotten through after she had had a near-death experience and how you could rally and even find the humor and, you know, racing on the ground when your sister like stole away your wheelchair and all of that. You know, I, I think that it's such an important thing to learn. We, we all hear and understand the sentiment that, you know, we are stronger together in numbers, but I think once it's actually had to play out in your life and you see it to be true, that's a whole different thing. Right. And so early on, you know, I had, like I said, the love of my parents and my sisters and our community. And, and I knew that those people not only were going to bring color to my life, but give me strength and, and be that safety net, if you will, to, to allow me to attempt these things as I start to kind of learn how to put the pieces together, but also have a place to fall because it's inevitable, right? When we're learning, we, we stumble, we fall, we get back up, we stumble, we fall, we get back up. Like it's just kind of this back and forth game a little bit. And now all these years later, I look and, and I have my husband added to that mix and I have other incredible individuals who've come into the fold. And I think it's just one of the many things that I would say I'm very grateful for in in this journey, especially that it happened at such a young age for me in perspective to life, because I learned at a very young age that we aren't meant to do this alone. And, and asking for help does not make us weak. It just, it's honestly probably the strongest thing that we can do. And whether that's in my career as an athlete, say, you know, chase down my third Paralympic games, or whether that's just in my life as as an individual, as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend, as a wife, or as a businesswoman, like asking for help is so vital and understanding that, you know, yes, I am fiercely independent and I am stubborn as they come. I'll be the first to admit it. And when I was a kid, everything was, I do it. And even as an adult, there's a lot of, I do it. Like I got this, I'm good. But understanding that we do it is just as important if not more. And I think what gives us the strength to have that fierce independence is knowing that it's backed by the support of a community. And so when you put those two things together, honestly, that's that's a remarkable combination. And whether it's triumph, whether it's adversity and loss and trauma, whatever it is, or just a random Tuesday, community and the people in your life, they're everything. They're, they're what makes 
the gold medal moment's worth it. They're what catch you when the January 21st, 2008 happen. And they're what bring light to the in-between. And I think that that is something important. And, and I think that we naturally as humans, we struggle with saying, I need help. Like we somehow think that that means we're less than, or we're weak, or we're incapable. But as I said, I, I truly do believe it's probably one of the strongest things we can do. Wow. You also said in the book that, and I guess this is an expression that your mom used to say to you, but God never wastes a pain, which I love. I mean, tell me how you interpret that and how that's sort of been a guiding light, how you've turned your pain into such a gift for other people and into something so inspiring. You know, I think every experience we face in life is for a purpose, even the hard ones. And I am a better person because of January 21st, 2008. I am a better person because of March 5th, 2014, which is the day of my arm injury that unfortunately has been a second permanent injury in my life. I am a better person because of those days and the journeys that they've carried me through. And we all are. I mean, if you look at just this past year alone, it has been so incredibly challenging for all of us in very different ways, but shared by a common experience. We've all faced loss to some level this year, hardship. We've all faced, even even if loss is as simple as, you know, right now in 2021, life is not what you thought it was going to be at this stage in early 2020. You had different plans that haven't been able to play out because of everything that's happened. Well, that's not physical loss in the sense that we all traditionally talk about loss. That is a loss in a, in a way for us and what we thought our future would carry. And, and it's okay to say that that's hard. And I think that, you know, when we, when we look at those those challenging times in our lives, it's important that we don't kind of guilt our way through of like, we need to find the silver lining like that. And we don't get to experience the pain that comes with those moments. But I also think it's important to realize that through those seasons, through the adversity that we face in our lifetime, we ultimately grow into better people as a result of them. We are better people because of this past year. We have experienced things maybe we never thought we would experience. And and that is making us stronger for what is to come in our future. And January 21st, 2008 in my life and months and years that followed, I am better for that. And I am more rooted in what my purpose is and who I want to be and my values and perspective because of that season of my life. And, and I think it's really important to realize that no matter how dark it might feel, there is always something good that comes on the other side. Even if that something good is carved by pain, it could be simply appreciating the simple moments more because you've unfortunately had to learn firsthand how much they are to be cherished and how they're not irreplaceable and how tomorrow's not guaranteed. And, and that's a really hard lesson to have to learn firsthand and, and a heartbreak that nobody should have to know. But to some element, there's also a beauty in being able to live a life with that perspective of being able to enjoy those moments in a way that you never did before. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And so I think that, you know, that's where I find that strength from of understanding that January 21st, 2008 wasn't just for nothing. And, and it's helped give me purpose moving forward. And it's helped give me closure to that day and understand that it is not my defining factor. It's a part of me, but it does not define me or who I am to become. And is writing the book part of sharing? Because I feel like your story and what you've learned and this like realization of this change that took over you and this appreciation of life and the, it's like you've seen through all the, the mess and found the, what is ex- important and you want to shout it from the rooftops, right? That this message that people are often too busy or distracted to even see, and you have this like crystal clear vision of it and you want to shout it from the rooftops. Is that how the book came about? And like, how else do you want to spread your message? You know, for me, Limitless, it came about, and this this might sound a little bit ridiculous, but it came about because I know how much pain 18-year-old Mal was in. And I know that the pain that I was in is not, I wasn't on an island alone when it comes to that. That's a very universal feeling. We have all to some extent faced that in our lives. We all know the depths. We all know trauma and loss and adversity and hardship very intimately. And I wanted to share my story in a way that could help empower others to find that light within themselves, to help empower others to understand that their now does not define what's to become and empower them to find their limitless potential within. Because to me, limitless isn't a fluff statement. It's a way of being. It's a way of understanding that the circumstances we carry do not define who we are or what we can become. Only we get to do that. And sure, they they factor in. I mean, there's there are inherently things like I am an individual in a wheelchair with no function of my legs. It doesn't matter how much I channel my inner limitless spirit, I'm not going to walk. Like that is a very factual thing. But I think sometimes we make that that idea so literal that we don't step back and realize, yeah, but but limitless or that that holistic healing, if you will, is about something so much more 
than one foot in front of the other in my situation or whatever that could be for you. It's about who we choose to be in those moments. And so I think that for me, Limitless really came to life because I did. I, I mean, I, I have it spelled out in 13 years of journals as I've worked through this. I, I was, I was in a lot of pain early on. And, and I, I knew that, that that wasn't, as I grew, that that was not a, that was not a uncommon territory for people. That's something, unfortunately, we can all relate on. And so I wanted to share my story in a way that wasn't just, you know, chronologically telling it, but also sharing what I learned throughout and, and pulling that out and, and really empowering others to find that in themselves. And, and I think that's my, my biggest hope for Limitless is that I can empower other individuals to find their light and honor their journey so they can lean into their Limitless potential. I mean, for some people, just writing the book would be a huge challenge. For you, it's like, oh, just like throw that on the list of, you know, on your to-do list for the day. So what was it like? I mean, you're a really great writer on top of everything else. Tell me about the process of writing this and everything from like the cover design to, you know, the how long it took. Like, what was the book writing process like? Did you collaborate with somebody else? Like, what was it like? So first of all, I, I very much anchored myself in, in team jacket when it comes to how you display your books on a bookshelf after going through the book process, (laughs) designing a book cover and realizing how much thought goes into it. I mean, it makes sense, but you just don't always know what you don't know until you go through it and you don't always appreciate it. And I was like, I will never take a book cover off a book ever again. They will forever stay on. And it was so much fun to go through those, those details. I mean, yes, there's the writing, but even just understanding and respecting the craft that goes into putting a book out into the world. It is remarkable. And, and talk about teams and communities. I mean, the team that I was so fortunate to have surround me, absolutely remarkable human beings and, and limitless is limitless because of those people. And I had an amazing co-writer, Tiffany Yucky Brooks, and she, she was my, my mentor and my teacher and like my safe place to fall when we were rehashing some of the most challenging moments in my life. And, and I think what was so incredible about how we wrote Limitless is I love to write and I always have, but I also knew I, I didn't, I didn't know how to do that when it came to a book. And I I really needed her guidance through that. But yet she also really empowered me where you know, there were some chapters where she was like, take it away, Mal. And it was just me and a blank word document. And there was a lot of that that went on. And, and I appreciate that because we really created a co-writing environment versus having her just kind of attempt to go after it in my story. And, and I, I really appreciate that she, as a co-writer gave me that trust and and freedom with my story to, to do that in, in a way that allowed my voice to really shine through in Limitless. And I'm, I'm so proud of what we've created with that. And from the writing process, you know, it was fast. Limitless came together, I from what I've heard, fast. I mean, it was my first, it's my first book. So I just don't know what I don't know. But we started writing in January and we were final and turned in in June with the first 11 chapters turned in in May. And we got a month for that final chapter because... Due to COVID, the ending was different. 
it wasn't going to end how chapter 12 ends. And there's, there's almost a little bit of a beauty in that. I mean, as we were writing and, and everything started to come to light with what we are facing in our world with COVID. And I realized we're going to have to refigure out how we want to end limitless. And, and I just kind of sat back with my husband and chuckled of like, of course we are, because that's how this story has gone. Like, being paralyzed at 18 is not how we plan things to go. And you go on down the line and it's filled with all of these kind of detours and curveballs of things we didn't plan. It only seems fitting that the ending of the book is following that same path. And so we really took space for that. And I think one of the biggest blessings for me was from January to March, I was writing while training for Tokyo. And trials were supposed to be in June of 2020 when my manuscript was due. And so I was going to be training for Tokyo, traveling as a speaker and writing. And while I had Tiffany and she was remarkable, I think I finally realized in March when, when everything kind of started to shut down and I lost access to training, we still had a lot to write come March. <laughs> and, and it was a little eye-opening, but at the same time, it gave me the space to step back from training and just sit surrounded by 13 years of journals and really lean into those. And, and I, I allowed them to guide me in how I wrote Limitless. The chapters are all pulled together from lessons that I learned during that point of my journey, and they are all pulled out of the journals and themes that I just kept talking about during that time. And that's how the chapter titles came about and how the conversations within the chapters. I mean, it's interesting. Well, we started writing in January of 2020. And in a lot of ways, I started writing three days after my paralysis when I picked up my journal in the hospital. And I'm so grateful for that because it allowed me to lean into what was I really going through in that time versus trying to come up with it 13 years later, hindsight 2020. And I, I hope, I certainly hope that that vulnerability will be what can help readers connect with it in a, in a raw sense. So I loved the writing process. I, I would do it over and over and over and over again. And I think that it, it taught me a lot and it, it forced me to do ultimately what it is that I hope for Limitless to do. It forced me to step back and, and read journals that I haven't touched since I turned the page and wrote the next one and really forced me to, to honor my own journey as well. You know, it's funny you said hindsight is 2020, that whole, you know, philosophy, but yet maybe there's something to it that last year when COVID hit, it was 2020. Like maybe it's just like one of those signs, right? <laughs> like, like you can't, like, this is all a joke. Any plans you think you're making, forget it. Like everything is up in the air. Like you think you see clearly, you don't. <laughs> yeah, everything can change. I mean, goodness, when the games were postponed, I would say the hardest part of that for me was we were planning on starting a family this year as a female athlete, as athletes in general in the Olympic and Paralympic movement, your world is planned on these four-year quads. But then as a female athlete, as you get older, you can imagine family planning goes into that. And my husband and I planned our wedding around Rio and we were planning a family around Tokyo and, and then everything changed. It was like, guess we're waiting again, which one year, you know, it's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but 
but we, we will be on our own journey to have kids. It's not as simple as, as some, you know, couples may like, and I know that's a pretty common thing of embarking on fertility journeys, but we'll be doing that. And so you always, you know, when windows get shorter, you always get a little nervous and I don't plan on retiring after Tokyo. So now I have three years till Paris versus four years, you know, so it's like everything condenses and you just, you feel the emotions of, you know, 2020 did that to a lot of people. There's a lot of people that were trying for families who were going through infertility treatments and had to stop treatments because clinics shut down and their long awaited dream to have kids got put on hold again when it's already been put on hold how many different times or weddings were canceled or postponed, graduations missed, loved ones lost without the closure for their family members to be there with them. I mean, the list goes on. And I think that there's, there's a space when we look to 2020 and we now look at where we're at in 2021 to just pause and take it in and let ourselves feel what we need to feel and appreciate what we've learned, even if that learning has come through loss and look towards where it is that we're going versus just rushing to saying, I, I need it to get back to what it was. It's like, well, I, I hate for anyone listening to be the bearer of bad news. It's not going to go back to what it was and it shouldn't go back to what it was. It's like when I was paralyzed, I wanted January 20th, 2008 all over again. I just wanted life before January 21st. But the truth of it is, is A, that's just not feasible because we can't change the events of our past. But B, that's not the direction we're supposed to move. We are supposed to, no matter how uncomfortable and how challenging a time is, we are supposed to learn from that and move into who it's building us to become. And I refuse, and this is maybe the optimist in me, or maybe it's the the growth mindset in me, but I refuse to believe that 2020 was for a waste. And, and my heart breaks for everybody who faced the, the ultimate loss in 2020 and 2021. And nobody should have to go through that. But it is also my hope that maybe this year can make us a more compassionate society and force us all to slow down just, just a, a brief second to appreciate what it is that we're in and, and where it is we could go as a result of this versus just rushing to look at past experiences and circumstances as our metric for what should become. I like totally went over our time because I am captivated listening to you speak. Seriously, amazing. But I always ask this question at the end and I have to hear what you have to say about it. And then I apologize again for going over. You're fine. But what advice would you have to aspiring authors? I feel like this whole thing has been advice for living and and accomplishing your dreams in so many ways, but just anything on that. I think the biggest thing I would say is every single one of us has a story to share. And if it is your dream to share your story in, in, in between two covers in a book, do it. Even if you literally do it for yourself or for your family, even if it's if it's a story that that nobody else ever sees, if you if that is a dream, literally go for it. Because I, I do believe we all have a story to tell and we all have a story to share and they all deserve to be heard. And so I think that that's the, that would be my biggest piece of advice because it can be daunting and it can be terrifying and we're all a little self-deprecative and like, well, why does anyone want to hear my story? Whether, you know, it's a nonfiction or fictional story, we all kind of go down that rabbit hole because for whatever reason, we see ourselves as so much smaller than we actually are. 
And, and I would say just as cheesy as it sounds, get in front of that mirror, give yourself that power pose and, and literally go do it. <laughs> why not? I mean, literally, why not? And again, even if it's a story, no one else but you and your dearest loved ones and friends see and read, who cares? You're doing it for yourself. And I would say when you get into the process, the biggest piece of advice I would give is once you start writing, anchor yourself in why. Why did you pick up that pen or get on your keyboard in the first place? And carry that with you through every single page because it will guide you in every decision you need to make along the way. Because there's a million and one decisions and and forks from the creative process that you're going to come to of, should I do it this way or this way? And if you know why you're writing it, that will guide you. Wow. This has been amazing. I am such a fan of yours. I will be following whatever you do going forward. And congratulations on this book. And just thank you for bringing sort of like your beautiful perspective into the world. I have so much respect for you and I'm so glad we got to chat. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And this was fun. Oh, good. This was really fun. I see your dog in the background. I know, I know. I saw you had a lab on Instagram. Oh, I God. saw your... He's a living, right? Where's Sammy at? Aww. So cute. He's in my office yeah. for everything. <laughs> I know, she's yeah. usually... Yeah, she's my little work friend. She hangs out with me all day. I love it. I I should, I should have actually said I had a second co-writer in this guy because he was at my hip literally like at night he'll put himself to bed. But when I was writing, he would stay on the floor at my side in the office till whatever hour of the night I was up till. And it was so funny. Both my husband and I were like, is he really like maybe understand to some element what you're doing? Because Generally, he'd be like, I'm out. I'm going to bed. And he was at my side the entire time. Dogs now. (laughs) Well, it was lovely to meet you. you. Thank you so much. And I hope you and and your family stay stay well as spring, spring makes its way around to all of us. Thank you. You too. And if you ever end up in New York, please let me know. I'll have like an event for you or do whatever, or, you know, something. You will definitely end up in New York. My husband grew up out East and lived in the city for eight years. Oh, so, so there we go. Once we are normally there a lot, just obviously Not normally it's kind of a loaded statement right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Mary. All right. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.